All right, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this privilege you give us of gathering together as your children. We thank you for your word that opens our eyes to the truth of what's going on in this life. And we ask that you guide us today, that your spirit open our eyes to deceptions we're living in, and that your spirit show us what true life is all about. We thank you most of all, Father, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to the earth as our substitute to become a man and take our place on the cross and take our judgment away. We are ever, ever grateful for this, and we look forward to the day that we can meet him face to face. Father, we ask that you bless this message and everyone listening. Help us concentrate and be open to what the Spirit is saying today. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, and by the power of the Spirit we pray. Amen. Well, again, our subject is on the board. Salvation, deliverance, is from our Creator, Redeemer. And that might give you a little hint of, as I mentioned earlier, what the Spirit brought out through Pastor Collins and uh, the way he brings everything together. With all the Spirit has been teaching us about the gospel, salvation and sanctification, we've seen the flow and continuity of God's plan for mankind. We've seen unity in salvation and sanctification, and how being sanctified is really an inevitable continuance of being saved. That's what I get out of it anyway. That's, That's how I am computing it, if you will with the Spirit's help. Salvation and sanctification are unified. And being sanctified is really an inevitable continuance of being saved. They're inseparable, according to the Scriptures. They're two sides of the same coin. When God God starts something, He finishes it. There's a simple way to look at it. He never, like, you know, goes halfway or forgets or, you know, takes something lightly. When He commits to something, He follows through with it in our lives. And when he committed to give us salvation as a gift, when we trusted in Christ, he then said, okay, I'm going to finish this thing for you and with you. I want you to come with me by free will, but I'm going to finish this thing one way or another. And you're going to be sanctified in the end and in heaven uh, forever and ever. We've also seen that deliverance is a movement by God where, where God is taking us from one thing to another. Right? from salvation to righteousness, right? Um, sin to righteousness, salvation to sanctification. That's deliverance, is this, this process. That's, that's why we still live this thing called life and we're stuck in this thing called time, is there is a process going on, and he is delivering us, showing us many things along the way, and also showing the angels who are watching us right now, showing them many things before he calls an end to this whole thing. So on the board, the saved individual who is born again by the Spirit of Christ will be sanctified by God his Savior. And God will complete the good work in him, the true believer. It's simply what God does for all his children. That's it. It's simply what God does for all his children, for all those who have trusted in his Son to be saved. 
We see that in Philippians 1.6, Philippians 2.13, and then also in 1 Thessalonians 2.13 and 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and 24. So we're going to start by looking up these verses as a, as a way of starting with some encouragement, all right, uh, per the point on the board. So let's go to Philippians 1, verse 6. I know you're familiar with this one. You should be by now, but let's get a little repetition and uh, see all the different ways the Spirit is promising us these things. Again, the point on the board while you turn there, the saved individual who is born again by the Spirit of Christ will be sanctified by God his Savior. And God will complete the good work in him, the true believer. It's a promise. It's what God does. He never starts something without finishing it. And it's what his word states over and over. So let's look first at Philippians 1, verse 6, where it says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Not might, not should, not will if you come along even. He will perfect it. By the way, you can come the easy way or the hard way. Seriously. And if you decide to come the hard way, if you keep kicking against his principles, he's going to, out of love, take you the hard way. And we're going to see that later on. But he wants to... He will get you there. He wants you to come along freely and joyfully. But he will get us there one way or another. Thank God for that, even when we're stubborn. So again, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Look at Philippians 2, verse 12. Philippians 2, verse 12. Again, keep the point on the board in mind. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why does it say that? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There's a couple reasons, which we're going to see today. But look at verse 13. It answers it partly right there. For it is God who is at work in you. Stop right there. It is God, Almighty, creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who gave you life. That God who created all this is at work in you. If that doesn't make you fearful in a good way, I don't know what should. And also happy at the same time, right? But we're told, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling because it is God who is at work in you. And not only that, but he's at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not your good pleasure. You're here for him, right? We're here for him. We're not here for ourselves. And that's the first thing we need to wake up and smell the coffee with. You're, you're not, God didn't give you life so you could be selfish and gallivant and be like, oh, you know, this is great. I'm going to abuse it or whatever. God gave you life with a divine purpose for him, for his good pleasure in verse 13. And that should make us even more fearful in a good way. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 13. And when you, th- when you hear this term, you know, fearful, 
being fearful of God, which we're going to get into even more, think of a good father. And even if you didn't have a good father in your own life growing up, think of anyone that you can think of that's a good father. It might have been your grandfather. It might have been your friend's father, your neighbor's father. A man who was a real man who loved and cared and was hard on you when you needed to be. And you, scared, you were scared of him because you knew how he would respond when you acted foolishly. And that's a good kind of fear. And that's a uh, secure kind of fear. That my father loves me so much, cares about me so much that he'll do that thing for me. He'll go that far for me and even hurt me if needed. But I know it's because of love. Is, tell me, is, is that not a different fear than fearing someone that you don't know who's maybe threatening you in some way? Totally different, right, in your mind? Hope so. The fear of that good father, faithful father, and his punishment versus the fear of a stranger, let's say. It's, it's a good fear. So 1 Thessalonians, where are we? 2.13, right? For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. There it is again, right? To our point on the board. God will complete the good work in the true believer. And here it says at the end, the word of God performs its work in you who believe. And as we know in John 1, 1, the word of God is God. Right? So they're, they're the same. They're synonymous. It's the mind of Christ. So God promises and will fulfill what he declares. And this is one of them. By the way, if you really believe the Bible is the word of God, you'd probably have your nose in it a lot more. Just think about that. It's one thing to say you believe the Bible and it's the Word of God, but if you really believed it was the Word from God, wouldn't you have your nose in it every day because you really believe it? Just something to think about. And the more you put your nose in the Word, the more the Word can work in you. But your free will is involved and your faith. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. This is our final scripture for the point on the board that God will complete the good work in the true believer. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. Stop right there for a minute. Isn't that awesome? May the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. In other words, he, he's the one who's going to complete the work in you again. It's another way to say it. The God of peace will do it. He'll sanctify you entirely. We saw this week uh, a few times in my life, too, the same verse keeps coming up, Philippians 4, 6. Don't be anxious for anything. Be anxious for nothing. Well, there's a good reason to be anxious for nothing, right, what we just read. Now, the God of peace himself, may he sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. So God is delivering us every day, if we're listening. 
God is delivering us every day. He's bringing us to righteousness. He's bringing us to sanctification, right? That whole deliverance thing is a movement from salvation to sanctification. He's taking us away from sin and bringing us to righteousness. Every day, more and more, the more we submit to Him and His Word. So for the true believer, the one who has surrendered his heart to Christ, he is promised the glorious results of sanctification. This, this finished product, which you and I have no business being, we're promised that thing. You know, I think of the passage in the Old Testament. I, I can't remember if it was Jeremiah, but he was an example of a sinner, and Satan was accusing him, and God put this robe on him, and, he said, and, and, and made him clean right in front of Satan's eyes. And, and what is that? That's a picture of our final state, which he's going to do even though, you know, we clearly don't deserve it. That's a, that's a part of the salvation gift. Again, salvation and sanctification, they're really one, right? The two sides of the same coin. It's part of your salvation gift that one day you're going to be sanctified in this holy perfection that we can't even fathom. And that's what we look forward to every day. And that's what sanctifies us every day and lets us live life in the joy of the Spirit. We've also seen, and this is still a little bit of review from what we've been learning, but we've also seen in this whole series on the gospel that if a so-called believer has no obedience whatsoever to God or no love for God and his people or no evidence of following Christ in his life whatsoever, he's probably not saved even though he might say he was born in this religion or whatever. He's probably not saved if he has no results in his life or no signs of following Christ. But it is between him and the Lord. We also know this by now from reading our Bibles in context on the board. There is an unavoidable continuity in the life of a true believer. A changed heart lives a changed life. Otherwise, the heart was never changed by God. So as you examine your own life, just be honest with yourself, right? What, are you going to hide something from yourself? Just be honest. Do I have, you know, signs of that I, I really am a believer in Christ? Do I love to some degree? Do I serve to some degree? Do I learn His Word to some degree? If the answer is no to all three of those, you probably have a problem between you and God. And you probably need to bow down and surrender to Him. Because the true believer <clears throat> lives some type of a changed life. It's unavoidable. Because God has changed you from the inside out. And now you have a new heart. You have a new spirit. So there's going to be some results. As Jesus said, you'll know them by the fruits. That's another thing that came out in this series Pastor Collins has been on. So all that being review of what we've seen now for many lessons, <clears throat> we're going to move on to this idea on the board. The Lord and His plan for saving and delivering mankind can be seen in His roles as Creator and Redeemer. Again, the Lord and His plan for saving and delivering mankind can be seen in His roles as Creator and Redeemer. That's what we're going to explore this week. And we're going to see a pattern in the Word that is blending with everything we've been learning. We know in 1 Timothy 2, it says, God's will for mankind is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Right? 
That's God's will. That's God's desire for mankind. We might call that out as, as salvation and deliverance. That all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And the more the truth you learn, the more you're delivered, right? The more word you get in your soul and believe, you actually have to believe it. The more you do that thing, the more you're going to be delivered, set free, brought to righteousness and sanctification. So that's how we can be saved daily, by the word. I mean, listen, we, know, we all know life is very difficult at times. For whatever might be going on in your life, it could be physical problems, relationship problems, mental problems. It could be emotional problems. Whatever you're going through, life is hard at times. And if you can be saved daily by his word, I mean, that's what, that's, that's what God wants for us as a father. He's like, I want you to see the solutions right here. I want you to grab it and believe it and live, live in joy each day, one day at a time, despite what's going on around you. All right? It's almost like a bubble that will put around your soul, but you have to invest. You have to believe. On the board, God's plan of salvation and the fullness of the gospel calls on man to repent towards God and trust in Christ to be saved, which again is two sides of the same coin. As Pastor told us recently, you can't give somebody one side of a coin. Try it. Can't do it. Impossible, right? And you've got two sides of the coin. Whatever coin you look at, you see two different designs on it, right? Two different messages from those designs on each side of the coin. But the coin of salvation is, has this on the, on the board. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. But they're one coin. They're one process. Saving knowledge of Christ comes through a conversion process. We've seen that too. That every person has to go through. Some type of a conversion process that's unique to every single person who comes to Christ. And although it's unique in every single person, think about this. Possibly billions of believers throughout human history. Different, a different way for every single one of those billions of believers. Yet, the same pattern. The same pattern. Which is something I think only God can do. Turn in your Bibles to Acts 20, verse 21. Acts 20, verse 21. <clears throat> Again, the point on the, on the board reveals this pattern. God's plan of salvation and the fullness of the gospel calls on a man to repent towards God and trust in Christ to be saved. Two sides of the same coin. Look what Paul said in Acts 20, verse 21. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. This was Paul when he was describing the way he gives the gospel. Solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice this was Paul's way of preaching the gospel towards both Jews and Gentiles. All right? And this, not only is it not just for one group, but also this is not just for the early church. 
Okay? And this is not for before the resurrection, before the church age began. This is the years into the church age in Acts chapter 20. This is the way to share the gospel. Repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. To be saved, every man in his short time on earth must first recognize God as their creator and then that God is their redeemer as well in the person of Christ. That's really what we're getting into, and that's what I see in this verse on the board. Acknowledging God as creator and then as redeemer. That's a wonderful analog to repentance and faith. Again, look at Acts 20, 21. What's it say? Testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance towards God. Who's God? The Creator. And faith in who? For salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ. The Redeemer. So this is the same pattern, though. Repentance and faith towards the Creator and the Redeemer. Salvation and deliverance come from acknowledging the Creator and Redeemer, as we're going to see more of this week. So, talking about repentance and faith, this is how we live the spiritual life, too, after our day of salvation. Really. This is how we're saved and sanctified in our daily lives, living in the gospel reality, by repentance and faith towards our Creator and Redeemer. It's the same pattern. But now we're on the other side of the fence as believers, right? We're not without salvation. We're not lost. We're now found. We're now saved. But it's the same pattern, the same way to look at God. You're my creator. I repent for whatever I need to. And you're my redeemer. I rejoice that you took care of everything for me on the cross, right? Same pattern. So let's just read these two points again on the board. Acknowledging God as creator... And then as Redeemer is a wonderful analog of repentance and faith, as we see in Acts 20, 21. This is also how we live the spiritual life after the day of our salvation. This is how we're saved and sanctified in our daily lives, living in the gospel reality, by repentance and faith towards our Creator and Redeemer. As we've seen it's only when we believers forget about our victory in Christ and our unchangeable position as his child, it's only then that we don't live in the gospel reality, that we forget to live in the gospel reality. I mean, we should be walking around the street or our job or whatever, and in our mind be saying, oh my God, I'm saved. Wow, I'm saved. How can we forget that, right? But we're fallen creatures living in the flesh. But that really should be our attitude every day. I'm saved eternally, it's done, and God's going to finish what he started? That's living in the gospel reality. That's what he wants for us as our Father. But we don't do it. Stubborn, selfish, we could make a list of about, what, three dozen, three dozen terms there? For whatever reasons we rebel, really. But this is what he wants for us. This is the beautiful thing he wants for us, to live in this uh, gospel reality. And we continue to do that every day by repentance of faith. When you mess up, you repent. Right? The Bible tells us confess our sins to Him. When you mess up, repent. Come back to me. 
and have faith again in, in the Redeemer because you know He's already done the work for you. So it's the same pattern going on that helps us live a life of freedom, which is really what He wants for every single one of us, despite our circumstances in life. So on the board, and, and this is just how I've computed it, again, through the Spirit, like all the things we've been being taught, the very act of living in the gospel reality that I'm saved and already victorious in Christ, that is the very means of sanctification. What more does your Heavenly Father want from you than to live like this? I'm saved, and I already have the victory. What more does He really want? What, what more would you want for your own child than to have that kind of security and joy and peace? And so that is the means to sanctification, because when we live by that faith, the righteous man shall live by faith, Right? When we live by that faith, God is sanctifying us really fast, for lack of a better way to put it. Because what, 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 what advances us? What helps us grow? What helps us live a righteous life? Faith. So when we live by faith, God's like, okay, I can take from here to there right now. Because you're with me. And you're believing me. But when we don't live by faith, he has to <laughs> place us in notches, I guess drag us to the next step, hold us there. Will you stop kicking? Will you stop not believing? You know? But this is the very means of sanctification, living in the gospel reality that we're saved and victorious in Christ. When you live like that, you're actually living the life set apart for God. You're doing it. You're doing that thing that he wants you to do, which is living by faith. We're called to live in our position in Christ. We're called to live life in Christ. That's what we are. That's who we are now as believers. So the point again on the board, the very act of living in the gospel reality that I'm saved and already victorious in Christ, that is the very means of sanctification. That's how he grows us and takes us from A to B and makes us something for his glory in this life. Listen, in heaven, we're all going to be glorious. We're going to be glorified, the Bible says. We're going to be in a perfect state. And then it doesn't matter in terms of the invisible war going on. You see, then that's God's, that's completion, that's victory, it's over. But if God can make us complete in this life, in front of Satan and the fallen angels, that's what gives him the most glory. That's what you know, makes you a, a, a victor in experience in your life. And that, that's how we really bring him the most glory. So we're called to live a life set apart for God, and it takes faith. Faith in what? How about the gospel? How about the thing you've already accepted? Living in that salvation. In conjunction with the word of God, we are more and more sanctified every day. We're able to live the gospel reality more and more. But we need the Word of God, too, as we've already read. The Word of God is our energy source. It's our resource. It's our bread, the bread of life. And through that thing, we're able to live this supernatural way of life. We're able to think differently. You know that verse about, I don't know if it's in Thessalonians, but he says, don't mourn like other people mourn when people die. You shouldn't. Be, have that same viewpoint. You have a new viewpoint. You have a victorious viewpoint. You know the truth. 
all right? It doesn't mean mourning is wrong when people died in terms of missing them. But to be despairing of hope, that is sad. But that's what comes with being an unbeliever. But as a believer, you know you've been changed. So there's a new way of thinking that the Word gives us. The Spirit helped me recently. He helped me change my perspective. Um, I was in a rut spiritually for a little while and not sure why my faith wasn't more pure and trusting of God. Anyone else ever been there? Nobody? Thank you. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like every other day, right? I mean, I was, I was, you know, and you get down on yourself, you start beating yourself up a little bit. You're like, why don't I just trust them? What's my problem? Well, this flesh keeps hanging on and grabbing on to your soul. But the Spirit gave me this perspective that I hope helps you too, that, that really kind of set me free and continues to set me free. Life is temporary. So live it for God in fear of your Creator. Life is temporary. Let's remind ourselves, God could take us home any day He wants to. doesn't matter your age. I don't care how young you are or how healthy you think you are. God can take you home any day He wants to. Literally today, your heart could give out. Happy Sunday morning. <laughs> Literally today, you could get in a car accident on the way home and be dead. Right? Today. Now. This could be the last day of your life. So, doesn't that give you a different perspective? Maybe proper fear for God, your creator. Right? All right what do you want me to do? What if God came down and told you you only had a couple days left? Some of you would be fools. Right? Some of us would be fools. But wouldn't you have this fear like, wow, I'm going to meet him in two days? All right, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? I'll do it. What do you want me to do? Fear of the Father, that proper. That's the reality of our life, though, right? Just because we don't know it's two days or 20 days or 20 years. That's the reality of our life. It's temporary. So hopefully this helps you live in the now and not take any day for granted. On the board, life is temporary. We're all just passing through. When we forget that truth, that reality, that's when we start living for ourselves and questioning why our own comforts aren't being met. See, it's perspective. We've got the wrong viewpoint, right? When we forget that life is temporary and we're here for His purposes, well, then we start getting subjective. And we start living for ourselves and questioning God even. Why are my comforts being met? How come I don't have this or that? We start focusing on our life as though it's our own. But when we remember life is temporary, we acknowledge the pure gift that life is, and we see the big picture, hopefully, which is that we are a very small part of it. Uh, there's 7 billion people in the world right now. Oh, and you need your comforts met. There's 7 billion people in the world alive right now, and it's all about you. Or does God, is God giving you a small place in the play, a small place in the theater to conduct a certain role to his glory before he takes you home, possibly tomorrow? See what I mean? It's all perspective, right? But we forget life is temporary. When we remember that life is temporary, that should snap us back into place. 
into the reality that is the sanctified life, this set-apart life that God has for us. He's taking us out of the world. He's already done it. And he's saying, you're over here now. Live like this. Live in this thing I'm giving you with the power I'm giving you and the wisdom I'm giving you. And live this life that is going to be strange to the world, even strange to your flesh. But it's something special. It's honorable, as we're going to see later. It's something you want, trust me, says your father. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 4. We have no choice in the day of our death. Again, on the board, as you turn there, life is temporary. We're all just passing through. When we forget that reality, we start living for ourselves, questioning why our own comforts are being met. We start focusing on our own life as though it was our own. But when we remember life is temporary, we acknowledge the pure gift that life is, and we see the big picture, of which we are a very small part, but a very important part to God, because that's who he is. So look, look at James 4 as a reminder, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. So the first guy in verse 13, he left somebody very important out of the picture, right? He left God out. But the second guy in verse 15, he acknowledged God when making his plans. Is there anything wrong with saying, hey, I think we should go to this city and start a business? No. But there's everything wrong with it if you do it without consulting God first, right? So the very exact same act can be good or evil. In God's eyes. And in between those two verses is the vapor that is your life. As quick as you read that verse 14, your life could be over. And in God's eyes, that's how quick it is over. So what are we doing? Are we going to live like the guy in verse 13 or the guy in verse 15? I don't know, but you're still alive, so you still got a chance. You still got a chance to recover and make that your new lifestyle. And consult God, actually, the one who gave you life. I know, crazy thought, huh? You mean, wait a minute, you mean you want me to stop before I move to the city and ask God if I should? The one who gave me life, I have to ask him? So we should be set free by what we see in James 4. Not scared, but set free because life is temporary and I'm just a vapor. But yet I'm in the hand of God and he's got a purpose for me. We should be set free by what we just read and set free from the bondage that the world system puts us in, set free from the bondage of self, the bondage we put ourselves in. How many times do we do it to ourselves, right? Do we put ourselves in some form of slavery on some treadmill when no one else is even expecting that of us? And we, I don't want to use the word lightly, so I'm not going to use it, but we do it to ourselves. We do it to ourselves. And that's the very bondage that God has died to set us free from. 
to stop thinking life is all about us. Don't have expectations. That's our problem. The flesh, especially being brought up in America, has expectations. This is what I should have. This is what they have. Why don't I have this? Are you really with me? Right? Expectations really comes from arrogance. Think about that. Expectations comes from arrogance. Who are you to actually expect anything? Who do you think you are? Right? That's what God's saying. Who do you really think you are? That you expect and you deserve such and such. Life is a gift given by grace one day at a time. Only his grace keeps us alive. And any gifts we get are a blessing. Any things that we get, they they should not be expected. They should be a surprise, every single one of them, because we don't deserve a damn thing as sinners. Right? Sorry for the Sunday morning language, but guess the point across. So on the board, we can take advantage of today and live it for him. As long, it is, is, as long as it is today, because it may be our last day. And we will be face-to-face with the Lord very soon, each and every one of us. Even if you live 60 more years on this earth, that's very soon in God's eyes. And how fast does time go, everybody? Older people, how fast does time go? Isn't it weird that the older you get, the faster it seems to go, even though that's not true? Why, why did God, think about it, these aren't coincidences, right? Why did God make our soul work that way? That we perceive time going faster as we get older. That's got to be from God, right? I mean, it's not, a, it's not one person that says that. Every older person says that. Why did God set us up that way? Maybe, maybe just to get us a little more humble <laughs> before we waste the rest of our life away. And maybe so we live for him before we see him very, very soon. Again, if God told you in two days he was coming back for you, would, would you live for him? Would you try to bring glory? So why don't we live that way every day, right? We're saved. We're saved. Why don't we live that way every day? So we can be set free from the traps of the world, from TV shows that show us a different story of what our life should be like, from movies that, that entice us to live for self. We can be set free from those things. That's why Jesus also said, be careful what you hear and be careful what you see. Because those things are going to trap you. The lies of the world will trap you. I was talking to my friend Scott about this yesterday. What foolishness the devil has deceived us into from childhood. And he's brought us up in this pattern of the world. And this way to look at things and expect things. And he's trained us so well with television, hasn't he? Trained us. If we, if we could see how deceived we really are, we'd be really discouraged. I think we'd, we'd be faint-hearted. Because that's how duped we are. We don't even know we're duped. Even being in the Word of God, we don't realize how duped we are. So he has fooled us greatly. But you know what? God's the victor, right? Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So you can win. You have won. But you also can experience winning if we follow him, if we submit. Again, on the board, we can take advantage of today and live it for him as long as it is today because it may be our last. 
and we will be face to face with the Lord very soon, each and every one of us with no exceptions. The truth is that life is temporary. So live it for God, your creator. Back to the creator concept. Live it for God, your creator. We can make a whole long list of reasons that we should live for our creator. One of them being that his life is in your hands. So on the board, just to close out this uh, system or this series of thought, you are a child of God if you've trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior. You don't belong here. Not for long, anyway. So live the gospel reality to which you are called. Live saved and victorious. Do good to all men. And swing freely in the game of life, one day at a time. Why? How? Because you're free. You're victorious. You're already victorious in Christ. Live like it. Believe. There's a verse coming up. It says, for those who believe not just in the day of salvation, for those who continue to believe this kind of life is given and experienced. So that's perspective that sanctifies. Some of us faster than others due to how much our flesh gets in the way. But living in the salvation that he purchased for us, that's how we become sanctified in this life for God's glory. Now, let me say this. If anyone listening to my voice right now, if you've not trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you are not saved. You're not destined for heaven either because you're a good person. I'm here to tell you that you do not possess the same life that you can count on on the board. You don't possess that life without God and without Christ, without your Creator and Redeemer and you submitting to Him. You're separated from God because you're not in agreement with God, your creator. And one day, whether you believe it or not, doesn't matter. You're going to face God and face his judgment. You, my friend, need to first acknowledge God as your creator and that you will be accountable to him one day very soon. You need to repent towards God and admit that as a sinner, you need his mercy. You need his forgiveness. And you also need to admit that he is the founder of your life. And then turn to Christ as your redeemer to be saved. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. The first step to eternal life is to admit your need for God's mercy. And to admit that he is your creator. And it's between you and God. So let's talk about the creator-redeemer in our last uh, 15 minutes or so. Because that's who God must be acknowledged as. Both creator and redeemer. By both unbeliever and believer. As Pastor Collins has mentioned, salvation and the gospel cannot be captured by a short, neat little definition. It really is doing it an injustice to try to summarize the gospel or salvation in one sentence. Now, there's times that you have to do that. Like, you literally might be walking off a train and, you know, you share the gospel with somebody. I don't know. But I'm talking about your habit and your way of thinking. The way of thinking about salvation. You know, what is it to you? Is it just a few words that you have memorized and that's the definition? 
or is it a story? I believe salvation and the gospel, from what we've been learning, is a story. On the board, salvation is really the story of the Creator and Redeemer and what He's done for us sinners. The story of the Creator and Redeemer. It's all about Him, actually, not about us. And when we share salvation or the gospel, we should look at it that way. Like, with, tell, tell the story. Tell the story, like, as if you're telling a little, little kid. This is how it all began. See, you might even go back to the Garden of Eden. I don't know. Whatever the Spirit leads you to in that moment. But you can all tell the story. You don't have to be what you think is a smart person. You don't have to be someone that knows the Word of God or memorizes the Scriptures. If you have faith in the Word... You know the story. Just tell the story, right? And what is the story? It's really the story of the Creator and Redeemer and what He's done for us, despite ourselves. So we saw this a a few months ago, if you remember, in the book of Acts, when we saw several examples of how Peter and Paul gave the gospel. Do you remember we went to Acts chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 10 and 17, for examples, that you can read on your own if you want to. And you see this way that Paul and Peter told the story of salvation. Differently each time, but with the same pattern. And that's really what we're, we're, we're called to do. Brag or boast about our Creator and Redeemer. Tell the story. Repentance and faith are involved in that story, right? But the Creator we repent to is a forgiving Creator. And we can have faith in the Redeemer and be saved and rescued. That's the story. It wasn't a one-sentence summary memorized by the Apostle Paul or Peter. In fact, I don't think they ever repeated themselves exactly. That's something that would be interesting as you read the book of Acts. See if Paul or Peter or anybody else ever repeated the way they gave the gospel exactly. I don't think so. There's only one verse I know of in the Bible that says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. That's a great verse, right? That's a great summary. That's a great ending to the story he told the jailer. But is there one other verse in the whole Bible that says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved? I don't think so. God is obviously, you know, so creative. That's what a creator does, right? He's so creative. As we look at nature, we see it. We see how incredibly, ridiculously creative he is. I heard the other day that science has recently discovered eight new types of tarantulas. When's it going to end? When's it going to end? Seriously, when will science not discover any new animals? I Personally, I think it won't end. I think, I don't know how that's possible, right, because there's one Earth and there's only so much stuff on the Earth, but I think it doesn't end. I don't know if he keeps creating species every couple of years for fun. And said, yeah, let, let, let me blow their minds with this one or that one. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I don't know. But I don't think it ends. Like, I think it is literally limitless creation. And then you look at how creative God is in, in giving the gospel. He's like, I'm going to do it all these different ways. I'm going to do it because this person needs to hear something slightly different than this person. And on and on and on and on. And I'm going to use different people to tell the story totally differently than a pastor would tell it or whatever, it doesn't matter. And God loves showing his creation and his creativity. And that's what we can do with the gospel too. 
So although there is accountability to God as our creator, and therefore necessary judgment of sin, by the way, there's also grace and mercy available to those who turn to Christ as redeemer. That's God. And that's the pattern. That's the pattern of repentance and faith. The creator, repent towards him and believe in the redeemer. The same God that needs to judge you has done something to save you. Do you believe it? And that's the pattern. But it's a story at the same time. It's a, it can be a very detailed, wonderful story. But it all begins by understanding our accountability to our Creator. And I think that will also set us free as believers. So on the board, understanding God as your Creator can do many things before and after your day of salvation. It leads to a proper perspective of fear of God as He is sovereign. Sovereign means He's king and He can do whatever the heck He wants. As king of the universe, He can do as He pleases. And that should give every man pause, every man fear, that He is not in control of His own life whatsoever, even though He thinks it. You and I and every man and woman living on this earth are in God's hand and our life is in his hand. And that's the reality of the situation. And he's sovereign. And anytime he wants to, he can end your life. That should give us proper fear of our creator, even as believers, who sometimes can get a little puffed up in our knowledge or a little puffed up that we're saved. Right? And then we don't actually have the proper respect and fear of God that he's letting you live another day, and that he's letting you bring glory to him before it's all over. It's all grace. So again, on the board, understanding God as your creator can do many things. I'm talking about doing things in our soul. Before and after your day of salvation, it leads to a proper perspective of fear of God as he is sovereign. As king of the universe, he can do what he pleases, and that should give every man pause that he is not in control of his life whatsoever. And by the way, we're not talking about a king ruling your country, and because you don't like the way the king does things, you can move to another country. There's not another universe. There's not another life. There's not another option on who your creator is. And so we should have proper fear of him. God is the sovereign creator of all mankind, and all will be judged by him as the king of the universe. There's no escaping that truth. So hopefully that humbles us, even as believers. Acknowledging God as your creator can set you free from your own standards, from trying to please God in your own way. You realize that it can't be done, that God is so infinitely greater and better than you and perfect and holy and righteous that it can't be done. So all this talk about fear, fearing your creator, should actually set us more free. Just like the great feeling of security you have, knowing you have a father that will be there in good times and bad, even if it involves punishment. There's a feeling of security that my father is strong, he's there for me, he's never going to leave me, and I'll take the punishment versus what I really deserve from the world for what I just did. There's something unexplainable about that that if we have faith, if we believe that that's our Father in heaven, then we're set free by that fear. 
So, let's see. What do I close? You guys want to go home? You ready? Super Bowl party at 12 o'clock, like six hours of pregame. <laughs> it's crazy, huh? Anyway, as we wrap up, we need to realize our need for repentance, okay? Both as believers and unbelievers. Because we have a holy, righteous God over us as our creator with the right and the power to judge us and to take our life anytime he sees fit. So each and every one of us have the ability and the option to change our mind, change the way we've been thinking, change the way we've been living. That's what repent means, to change your mind, to agree with God, to turn to him in humility and say, I'm wrong. And it's that very attitude that should continue the day or after the day of our salvation. So on the board, living in the gospel reality, being saved every day includes this attitude of repentance and humility. Being sanctified includes this as well. In fact, they are unified. As we try to cast our little religions out of our souls, the reminder of God as your sovereign creator and a healthy fear of him might be the only thing that helps you do that. The right perspective of how temporary your life is and that your creator is all-powerful and can do whatever the heck he wants whenever he wants. That should help us snap out of our little religions that we cling to. That's why fear of God is mentioned throughout the Bible. And we'll get into it a little bit more on Tuesday evening. And as we close, one of the little religions that fear of God can help cast out for us is sexual idolatry. And we should not be foolish and think there are not consequences for rejecting God in this matter. So let's close with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Go to verse 1. Remember, the whole purpose of God in sanctifying us, in giving us commands, the whole purpose is to set us free. Right? The whole purpose of Him even punishing us or disciplining us as His children when we need it, the purpose ultimately is to set us free from ourselves and from these little religions we hold on to, including sexual idolatry. And, you know, all this stuff that's put before our eyes in this world today with basically television and the Internet now, all this stuff put before our eyes makes, gives us a skewed viewpoint on sex and also on what we should have or what we should expect and blah, 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 blah. And this idol that God uh, allows in our soul, all right, he allows it to take place, but usually it's because of what we watch and what we listen to and what we choose to believe. This idol needs to be smashed. And God is so trying to set us free from things like this. And uh, there's not, there are consequences when we keep disobeying him. So look at 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us instruction as to how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually do walk, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, 
not in lustful passion, like the Gentiles who do not know God. And that no man transgress or defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all these things. Just as we told you before and solemnly warn you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but he's rejecting the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You, every believer, has the Holy Spirit convicting him of this thing. So you're rejecting the Holy Spirit when you reject his counsel and his direction. You're not rejecting a man. So be warned, Paul says in verse 6, if we can get out of our own way and humble ourselves before our Creator God, humble ourselves before the all-powerful Creator, then we can live the sanctified life. But without that fear of God, we live arrogant lives, even as believers. We do what we want to do and ask forgiveness later, don't we? But that means we don't have proper fear of God then. Our perspective is off in that area. Look at verse 6 on the board in the NIV. And that in this matter, sexual immorality, no one should, take, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins as we have already told you and warned you. This is your all-powerful creator, who's also your loving father, who knows how, you hit, how to hit you where it hurts, by the way. And he does it because he loves you, but he won't turn a blind eye, as Paul says in this verse. God will do whatever it takes to get us to reach the sanctified life. We can go the easy way or the hard way. We can go kicking and screaming, and need, need a timeout in the corner, or we can go along willingly in humility and grab his hand and let him take us there and stop disobeying. But on the board, God as our Father loves us so much, and he has great noble plans for his children. But when we repeatedly violate his noble plans for us, he will discipline us when needed sometimes harshly, to help us get out of, out of our own way. And so we don't waste our life away. Life is temporary. We're going to see him one day very, very, very soon. He doesn't want you to waste your life away to the point where you bring him no glory. And you get to heaven and you have regrets, which the Bible says there is a moment of shame, probably for all believers to some degree, that we didn't do what we could have done for him. Because when we see him, it's all over. When we see him, it's like the, the, the stark reality and truth. We don't have to go by uh, faith anymore, right? We can go by sight now. And we're going to have regrets. We're going to be like, wow, everything he said was true. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Heaven is this and that. And there's no way to get it back. As Pastor Collins has said before, you only come this way once. You only come this way once. And if you've already wasted this last year of your life, you can't actually go back and do a redo in any way, shape, or form. All you can do is make the next year for God, right? That's all you can do is look forward. But when life is actually over and he calls you home and says, you're done, 
what will you be able to say you did for him? He's our creator. He's going to call us out one day, call us home if we're believers. But will we be able to say we did this thing for him or will he drag us kicking and screaming the whole way to sanctification? Well, I guess we'll close there. That's a good upbeat note. We're going to uh, actually have our communion service now, so ushers, please uh, pass out the elements, and we'll play some music. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this is a time to remember Him and what He did for us on the cross. And I just want you to think about one thing as I flip through to our uh, communion. I want you to think about one thing, just one idea. His death and resurrection is the literal deliverance from sin to righteousness. His death and resurrection is the literal deliverance from sin to righteousness. We've been talking a lot about this thing, right? The Spirit's had us on this thing of how God saves us from sin and brings us to sanctification, right? He saves us from sin to righteousness. And He did that in one moment of time for us, but He also does that throughout our whole lives while we're here. So... When, when the cross took place, okay, and this, I'm just going to read one verse to you here to think about with this. When the, talk, the cross took place, his death and resurrection literally was a picture of him taking us from sin to righteousness. And it says in Romans 4.25, 
He who was delivered over because of our transgressions was raised because of our justification. He who was delivered over, he was delivered over as a sacrifice, right? He was delivered over for us to remove our sins from us. And that's what he did when he died on the cross for our sins. But he rose from the dead for our justification. And what is justification? Righteousness. He made us righteous. So literally, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, think about that. Think about how he did it all, not only in his death, defeating sin, but in his life, giving us new life and his perfect righteousness. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. It says, For I received from the Lord that uh, what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In memory of our Lord, let's eat the bread. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In memory of our Lord, let's drink the cup. All right, I'm going to show you a video, and then we'll close in prayer. You've spread out the skies over empty space Said let there be light Into a dark and formless world Your light was born You've spread out your arms over empty hearts Said let there be light Into a dark and hopeless world was born. You made the world and saw that it was good. You sent your only son for you are good. What a wonderful maker. What a wonderful savior. Whispers of 
again for this opportunity to gather together as your children and learn your word and believe the things you have for us. We ask, Father, that you keep us from the things in the world, that even though we're in the world, we don't have to be of the world. Help us live the sanctified life you've called us to live. Help us live in the gospel reality of victory and freedom and live in your peace and love. Father, give us the faith to do these things one day at a time. And Father, if anyone is listening right now to my voice who has never believed in Christ, I'm here to tell you that God loves you so much He put to death His own Son on the cross purposely for you and for your sins. So you need to repent towards God. Admit your need for His mercy. 
and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ from your heart. And then you will be saved. Father, we thank you for anyone who's made that decision today for the first time. We welcome them to your family. We ask that you help us keep our nose in your word so that we can live in the beautiful, sanctified, noble plan that you have for us. We ask that you bless us all as we go today. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you.